Welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, technology, and more. I'm Nick Frank, uh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron. That's right. I like how you threw the Z in there. XYZ. Yeah. Wait, you can't just say, I'm Nick Frank. Where are you from, buddy? Uh, Canada, because I said Z. <laughs> was, that was an uncomfortable experience for me saying all that, because oh. I just read it, but I'll get used to it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I am Aaron. I'm the owner of Golf Custom Knives. And where the fuck are you from, Nick? Frank Brothers Guitar Company. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get at you, <laughs> I know. <laughs> what have you been up to, man? How are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, we've been, you know, another busy week. Uh, flew by. Well, it's only yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, it did, eh? So. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's, yeah, since our last recording, though, it really does feel like it's yeah um but we've been busy we have we have uh, a new hire started this week Ooh. at frank brothers so um we've got a person now helping out and finishing oh cool um, really talented guy who's uh already picked up on the, on everything super quick okay. um which is great so is this and like an apprentice that you're bringing in like someone that's inexperienced with finishing and is going to learn or uh no um it's somebody who's who's got uh experience sanding and and uh in woodworking but right. uh not in guitar making yes uh, which, which works for us finish. right yeah i mean we need people with good hand skills uh we can train them to do the work on our product but right. th those hand skills are are really key and to get somebody up like up and running really quick that's that's also right. pretty key um yeah so that's been exciting Interesting. Do you think that that's the hardest part of training somebody else? Like for me, it was um, like trying to get someone else to see with your eyes mm -hmm. and to see with your like standards in terms of, yes, you know, do you think that's the hardest bit or is it like teaching them to actually do this stuff? Uh, no, it's, I think it's a, it's teaching tolerance and teaching um, the, that feel. Right. Uh, and, you know, somebody has to there has to be an aptitude for it or a very strong desire to learn right yeah you know you can't get someone in that's just like kind of the fuck it good enough and then exactly because yeah. we're i mean like you super picky in the, the it's, it's all made up of little things so right. you can wreck something so quick <laughs> yeah one little chisel gouge or something oh and, yeah yeah how, actually how many guitars have you wrecked Oh, I have a, actually have a, a corner. Oh yeah, uh, the corner pile of, of guitars. <laughs> um, I mean, there's probably like six plus guitars there. That's not too bad. It's not so bad. Um, but if, if I show the mistakes that are on them, mm. some of them are really big, but some of them right. are like, well, you could fix that. But we use we use them. We we um. We'll mm. like test new programs on them for because we do a lot of post finish routing. So right. after the guitar is completely finished, polished, then we put it back on the CNC, right? Pick up cavities, holes for you know switches and things right. like that, which freaks people out. I yeah. always get the same questions because I post some videos of it on Instagram. People are like, "You're gonna chip the finish or whatever." <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, you have no idea what you're doing, so those are pretty reasonable questions. Yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is terrifying. Like, I sometimes put DLC coated knives back in my fixtures to um, do engraving, and yeah, it, yeah, it's. I mean, particularly for me because I have to clamp down pretty hard, and I'm right. clamping like metal on metal. It's yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, but you know, you don't. Have, we wouldn't have a lot of shifting forces, like lateral forces, that would. Could no. you light, could you clamp it lighter, or is it? I I could just my fixtures aren't set up to do that. At right. All. Right. Um, so like yeah, I'll be clamping them down to use that diamond drag engraver that we were talking about last oh, cool. time. Right. Um, I think at some point I need to make like a like a polyethylene cradle, you know, yes. something that's just like totally incapable of scratching the knives, and then it has like a rubber clamping thing in there or something because like yeah, soft it, jaws of some sort. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, we have that for putting our bodies back in, uh, mm. and it's it's basically a clamp itself. Uh, so you the clamp clamps. the whole body of the guitar in, and then what operations are you doing on that? That's when we're routing pickup cavities. Mm. Uh, and if you're not a guitar, I know you're a guitar guy, but if you're not a guitar person, um, pickups are what make the guitar essentially electric. Right. 
Um, and yeah, typically they're rounded before you do any finishing. Uh, but it, they having these big cavities in the middle of the body of the guitar makes it hard to sand and polish around. And we get yeah, a way better you're thinning the finish out too much. Yeah, right? we, yeah, you get you can get um, uh, you just kind of get hot spots uh, where right. you maybe would sand more. Your finish builds up, um, so this makes it really clean and it's really fun. Put a, put a full, fully finished guitar that's had forty hours of work, put right. it on the CNC and let it just. You know. Yeah, that's pretty awesome though that you're doing something that's so different to, you know, like uh, different enough that other guitar makers are looking at it and being like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" Yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. Well, and we we only we we didn't come up with the idea. We saw a photo of another mm-hmm. guitar company do it, and we were like, "Well, I must do that on everything." So we were just like, "Let's adopt that." <laughs> I have no idea if they do actually do it on anything, but it's Com- working. The company's for you, callings. It works for us. Yeah. Right. Um, nice. but just, so that's what we've been up to. That's a long way of saying what we've been up to. How about you? Well, that, that was one <laughs> thing. What else have you been up to? I get to keep going. Oh yeah, man. Um, I'll indulge you. All right. Thanks. Cause you know, I can blather on. <laughs> um, we, uh, ordered some new dust collectors. Uh, so we, to, to fit the, the Haas, we had to shift some machinery around. So now right. we've got like these two woodworking cells, uh, that uh, for for machinery like our jointer, thickness sanders, um, table saw, and then we have another cell with a like a sanding, a, a disc and belt sander, and a right. bandsaw. So we got dust collectors to service those. Where previously we have we have like a big cyclone dust collector that collects all the dust for every machine, but right. um, it takes rigid ducting and uh, it to. When you put the machines further away, it doesn't collect them as well. Collect the dust as well. Right, right. Uh, something about static pressure loss. Uh, oh, you know, man. I That's just like saying pressure. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so now this this big cyclone's just going to service the CNC. So now we have to figure out mm. how to, to do dust collection in the CNC. In the CNCs, in the Haas. In the Haas, right? Uh, which I think will be easier than doing it on the axes because the gantry. You know, you've got so much movement there. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And they came with like a dust shoe that you could put on it, but it's mostly made for that's most for, mm. mostly designed for flat goods. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. Um, So we got to figure that out, and then yeah, we're uh, we're working with Mark on figuring out how we're going to fixture on the Haas, which is exciting. Right. And Mark's the guy that does all of your like CNC programming, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. We collaborate on all that, and he's he. Um, does the actual uh, CAD and cam? Right. He's because uh, he's a nerd, and you're a cool guy. You're that's too cool. you're too cool for. Me. Yeah, I mean that's what my uh, my business card says: chief cool, cool, cool officer. <laughs> so what are you thinking for, for fixture plates? Because like, what? How big's the table on your machine again? It's uh, the travel is twenty by thirty. The table oh, okay. is eighteen by thirty six. Right. So I guess you can put a finished guitar in there to like yeah. route the cavities and stuff, like the pickup cavities, but you'll be like hanging the neck out over the way covers. Yes. And actually, if we put the guitar centered on the table, which mm. we're inclined to do because it looks nice, right? <laughs> um, it'll actually go through the window on the Haas because the Haas has a window on <laughs> either side of, of the machine. Right. Um, but the idea is we're going to actually keep that window open and build in a dust port there. Mm. Um, that'll be more like a filtration, like an air filtration. Um, yeah, right. Just keep like negative pressure inside. The yeah, so we'll, we'll duct cooling. out of that and hook it up right. to the dust collector. Uh, so the, wind, the the neck will actually stick into that a little. Um, <laughs> that works. That's oh, fine. yeah. I mean, because the next step was going to a VF3 or... You know, and then it's like a couple thousand dollars more to go to a VF4. It's very tempting, uh, right. but we have limited space and we have limited ceiling height. So the VF2, we got the SS, we got the YT, the extended right. Y travel. So we have the 20 inches in Y versus I think it's 16 for just the VF2. Yeah. Um, and it gives us a nice big, it's a big enough work surface or machine. Right. Um, but uh, we, it's a 20-inch Z versus 
five for I think it is the the th BF three. Gotcha, and that's just like just a little bit too much. If we put the Z, the like the Z all the way up, then the spindle, like you know, the the enclosure around the spindle, um, move, the, the whole thing moves up and down. It would blast right through our natural gas uh, line <laughs> in the ceiling. We didn't well, want to do that. That's fine. Yeah, that doesn't sound apocalyptic. Just bend it out of the way, maybe that would have right. would have worked. <laughs> Yeah, I've, so I've been wondering about travels on CNC machines myself as well. So um, I'm working on a kitchen knife at the moment. That's so exciting. Fun. Yeah, and I so because kitchen knives are so different uh, to what I'm doing at the moment, like the outdoors knives. Um, <coughs> uh, excuse me, sorry. They're very long um, and thin in comparison, which means that right. fixturing them I have to take a different approach. So what I'm actually going to be doing is um, starting with a rectangular steel blank, hardening that, and then doing all of the machining on it hard rather than just the bevel operations. Um, and I'm actually going to be tabbing it out. So I'll be doing oh, all of cool. the 3D, 3D machining and then tabbing it out, um, you know, breaking it free of the tabs manually, and then putting it on a final fixture that will locate it by the handle pins and then trim the tabs and the, the profile in one shot. In those tabs, will they be on at the edge of the blade? Yeah. Um, like the, the sharp um, edge? So or... those ones I actually don't care about. Um, I can't really trim those because the steel there is so thin that like, no matter how I fixture it, it's going to like chatter like crazy. Right. Um, but I don't care about those because I can just sharpen them away. True. Right. So like the it's... other surface, you want that to be the final finish. Yeah, it has basically. to be like you know on the spine of the knife around the handle and stuff. It all has to be final finish and also like to a really close tolerance. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm holding the tolerance between my handle scales and the tang of my knives to uh, about one thou total tolerance. So it's like plus or minus half a thou on your um, on on the like on, on the, the resolute kitchen, which on is the resolute. Mine. Wow. Yeah, and so Which you're gonna have to like hold that over a longer, uh, a, a larger. Uh... Well, the handle is about the same size as the oh, handle in the resolute. Yeah, okay. so it'll be it'll be fine. It'll be about the same. But that's kind of like, I want that because at that level of fit, it feels like the handle has been made as like one piece with the blade. Like you can't feel a step, you know? Right. Which is really sweet. Yeah. The nice. problem is that. So what I really want to do is set up the machine. Um, so previously I had, uh, you know, the steel machining and the composite machining for the handle scales. I had all that happening in one machine. I actually want to split that up um, for two reasons. One, the like steel machining cycles take way longer. I can kind of do the handle scales on demand because they're fast enough. Okay. Um, and I want to get all of the... So I want to get like one kitchen knife, one hunting knife, and one uh, unnamed folding knife um, on the table all at the same time so that each cycle makes one of each knife. Right. Um, and then additionally, I, I'll actually be able to recycle my steel because right now I, I'm not oh, recycling. Oh, yeah. Because it's all of the G10. G10. Exactly. Dang. Um, that just is... doesn't, they don't just melt that away? No. Damn. They just like laugh in your face um i mean it's not a huge problem because i don't make that much scrap right now compared to pretty much any other machining company but i'd still like to do better you know so the problem is that i can't quite fit all of that on the table of my current machine hmm. what's the travel again it's uh 20 by 16 right on x and y um so i did read somewhere that someone was you know, so one of the interesting things about the Fidal control is that everything is a parameter. Like I can go into the control on my machine and tell it that the travels are like 60 inches by 30 inches and it'll just be like, okay. But is there not a, um, a limit switch? Uh, there are no limit switches. No. Is there like a block that it runs into? Yeah. There's, it's a, got there's a hard limit. Th right, yeah. Right, well, right. I mean, at some point you're going to run out of machine. Yeah. Runway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but how much so, further can you go? So there was a model up from mine in size called the 2216, which just gives you an extra two inches in X. And the funny thing is that my machine has the rails long enough to do that. Really? Yeah. Did you just so make like, the table smaller? Um, I think it's the same size table and everything. I think the only thing that they made different is that the ball screws are just a tiny bit too short. I think. 
I think. I'm not 100% sure. Because, like, if you look at the ball nut, the the end of the ball screw would actually be inside the ball nut by about an, a half an inch. And I'm not sure whether that's going to be enough to, like, let the ball bearings fall out or whether it, you know, just the first half an inch is just all mounting flange, you know? Um, it might be that the first half inch is just mounting flange and then I don't have to make any changes to the machine at all. I can just change that parameter to be 22 inches in X and then I'm good. That would be amazing. I've heard that other people have done it, but I like, I knew, I know that I read it somewhere and now I can't find the place where the person was saying that they did it. <laughs> That's a hard thing to Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so would the yeah, alternative it's... be, um, actually changing the ball screws? Yes. Yeah. And, um, it's funny in, in my first machine, um, I actually bought the wrong Z axis ball screw when I was rebuilding that machine. So it's only a 20 inch Z axis, like the travel, but it actually has a 28 inch ball screw in it. Um, so (laughs) I could actually swap that. Uh, there's like a ton of extra room under the bottom. It just hangs out. That's hilarious. Like it's, it's inside the weight covers and everything. Just, just dangling. There you go. Yeah. So I could actually swap the X and Z ball screws on that machine, and then I could get like 28 inches of travel. I mean, I'd destroy my linear rails, but so could you? You, but if you change just the the code, I don't know, just the parameter, the, the yeah. parameter, right? Then it won't go out of that, and your linear rails will be fine. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. The- theoretically, theoretically. So yeah, we'll see. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna try it because. Like it, it just that that extra two inches lets me build a fixture that's way nicer um, than if I have to work around. Isn't that, that amazing that it's just two inches? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, and kind of along with that, I've been looking at like you know I'm all jelly over here because you've got your new machine. Very, I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. I want to hug it, but you won't let me. <laughs> so you know, I've been kind of looking at it and being like. Okay, like, what's the next step for me? Do I need a new machine? Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've wanted a new machine forever, right? But like, I still don't quite think it makes sense. But there's a company that makes upgrade controls for Fidals, um, and it's like a pretty substantial upgrade. It's it's uh, in both in price and performance. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I mean, compared to a new machine, it's it's incredibly cheap. It's like fifteen k. Canadian, right? Um, what what for, uh, advantages would that give you over the current control? Uh, double the resolution on all of the axes for like, so you have to replace all of the encoders. Okay, um, and it's at the least double the resolution. I think I can negotiate with them to get better encoders, and then it'd be like ten times the resolution. Um, it actually has so the Fidel control actually doesn't do any look ahead. Mm-hmm. So when you have your G code and you're coming up to like a a hard 90 degree corner, you know, a modern control like on your Haas will look at that corner and be like, well, I can't do that corner at 900 inches a minute. Right. So I need to slow down a little bit to get that corner and to keep those tolerances. Whereas the Fidal will just be like, yeah, fucking send it. You know, like <laughs> it, it doesn't do any look ahead. It doesn't do any uh, changing of feed rates. It, it basically, it'll keep just trying to do whatever you program until the servos overload. I love that confidence though. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's full send it, it really does uh give it but yeah so the problem is that that style of control works mostly but if you like try to do a 90 degree outside 90 degree corner so you're like trying to machine the outside of a square mm-hmm. feature um it'll hit that corner and then it'll start going uh, in the 90 degree direction, like it'll make the turn. But on that second face, there'll actually be like an oscillation because the servo has overshot the end of uh, that, that uh, corner and then it, it's having to correct. Right. Um, so your feed rate's kind of limited by like how much quality you're willing to give up. So you have to slow down the entire, like that entire cut. Yeah, exactly. In order to, to make a nice right angle turn or yes. a, tur- a curve yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and obviously that gets way more complicated once you start trying to do 3D contouring. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, basically this other control does like full look ahead. It does like, you know, planning for all that kind of stuff. It works out how much acceleration it has and if any move that you command 
exceeds that amount of acceleration, then it will alter the move to like right. smooth things out, you know, like like the house does. So a new control, uh, switching ball bearings, moving them around. I actually wouldn't have to switch anything, the ball screws or anything. Ball screws, rather. Um, well, you were just talking about doing that to extend. Yeah, your, sorry, your just ch- t- changing the settings. Yeah, I don't know if I would actually have to swap anything. Oh, you, that you just may. You, you I may have to. Right. I'm not sure. But yeah. you're, you're talking about changing, switching encoders. Yeah. Um, like, how so, long I mean, would all that take you? Not too long. I think it'd be probably a couple of days to install the new yeah. control. Um, I mean, I know, luckily, I know that machine pretty well. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, I know, right? Um, I'm just, you know, I'm curious about, like, the, is a value proposition. What, what, what could this new, what could a new machine, how can I get you into new Haas today? Um, no, <laughs> the but, biggest thing for me is finish quality. So the, one of the issues, that, the, the biggest issue that I have with the Fidal, okay, so, like, I don't care about the speed of the Fidal, it's good enough. I don't care really about the travels. It's good enough. Like everything is good enough except for repeatability. So if you're trying to do lots and lots of passes back across, um, back and forth across an angled surface, um, you know, like 3D contouring a surface, sometimes it'll run a little bit low and sometimes it'll run a little bit high. And so you end up with these streaks in the surface. Right that then I have to, like, those streaks are the reason that I still have to hand finish every one of my blades. Right. So, you know, a better control with better encoders. Because the problem is the the my machine at the moment doesn't have encoders. It has the thing that predated encoders called resolvers, which are literally analog. So um, it's actually a really cool system. It's like two coils. One is fixed and one is rotating. And one's outputting a sine wave, and then the other one's just picking up whatever the other one's putting out. And by reading kind of the angle of the sine wave that's coming out of that second, like it's basically like a guitar pickup just attached to a servo motor. By reading the angle of that sine wave, it can tell how far the servo is rotated. Wow. Um, But this is all implemented with like 1994 technology. Right. You know, so like... You know, these days, like the the digital to analog or the analog to digital converter in your like in your phone is better than the thing that's in right. this super expensive machine. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, like I think switching to actual encoders that are you know digital from the ground up have a much higher resolution, um, and right. then having all of that extra th- brains around acceleration and deceleration, I think that would make a big difference in my surface finishes, and that's. So I guess the the hesitation to to maybe dive into a brand new machine is that it still doesn't get you to where you want to be, whereas this in this could do the same thing as just getting a, a new machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if I was to go to like a Haas VF or a VM series machine, especially the VM series mm-hmm. machines, because they're the, like the mold making. Yeah, machines. that would make they have... sense for you because you're yeah. doing all, all that. Well, you want because you want the highest resolution possible. Exactly. So I think that would get me there. But the problem is, you know, in my current shop, that means I would have to get rid of my current working machines. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, potentially not have enough space. Um, it's a much larger investment and so on. You know, so if I could do like an incremental upgrade, right? Um, you know, it's not going to retain its value as an investment as well as like buying a house. Right. But to me... Um, because the investment's relatively small, you know, compared to a new machine, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, I would get my value out of it very quickly. But you have to drop $15,000 uh, in cash, in like cash. right now. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, that that might be the down payment on on a Haas. Well, and then you get to make uh, three years of payments after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which you can look forward to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, yeah, you know, I mean, do you know they can they retain a uh, the the ability to shut your machine down if you miss payments? Yes, yeah, I've heard that, which is exciting. So when they were here installing mine, mm-hmm. they they had a timer on that said like this machine's operational for the next thirty days, and I was like, what the fuck is that? He's right. like, oh, we put this on all new, all new machines. It'll stop working after 30 days unless you put a code in. Um, and I was like, well, I need you to take, because we we bought ours outright. Right. I was like, I need you to take that off right now. I'm not letting you leave without <laughs> right. removing that 
because what if you know we, uh, America declares war on Canada and they shut all our hospitals? Machines. We're oh, coming for yeah. your maple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, I've, yeah. I don't know where I read that, but somebody else, somebody had said, you know, buying a machine from some other country, they, they could always turn it off right. if, if you had well, some dispute. Well, the crazy thing is, like, with five access machines, so like, five access machines are regulated under the international trade of arms, right? Because they can, like, theoretically be make, used to make nuclear weapons, right? So, um, a lot of vendors of five axis machines, like if you move the machine, it has like a GPS tracker built in. Oh, right. And if wow. it senses that it's been moved, it shuts itself down. To and North you have Korea. to like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's, it's well, you, kind of apparently you have to have like, it's, it's to sell one of those on the used market is a different thing story as well. Right. right um, right. but I don't know if that was a tangent. I'm not actually worried about them turning my machine off but um, you're not shipping your fidel to north korea anytime soon i haven't had any i haven't had any offers you know? <laughs> it's, it's offers on the coming yeah right yeah it's a good way to turn a, a quick profit probably better than the guitar business <laughs> <laughs> um anyways that's an interesting i just it's fun to to think about that stuff i think obviously what you've done with that machine is is like amazing and it's definitely been like you know, when people are like, why are you buying a shitty Fidel or whatever? You know, like, yeah, it's not the greatest machine in the world, but I didn't pay a ton for it. And I was able to like pay for it incrementally, you know, like that. So that new machine, that new machine, like it literally cost me $3,900. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I spent about 12 or 14 grand on like, I had to replace a bunch more electrical stuff than I thought. Like I replaced two servo drives, the spindle motor, spindle drive, um, and some other stuff, screen and so on, right? But the machine's in really good condition now, and I was able to kind of do it incrementally. I was able to do it on my terms. You know? Yeah. So Which, like, that that makes a lot of sense for for you because uh, you know, like, yeah, you're stopping. It just freaks me like out the idea of own, like your own way. <laughs> yeah it freaks me out the idea of like so I, look i know that it's some debt is constructive debt and like i have debt right now i'm not like you know some debt-free hippie but like <laughs> um, i just i hate the idea that like you know i have a line of credit or whatever and sure. if i have to i can just pe- put the minimum on that next month it's no big deal yeah. you know whereas like a machine payment like you know you got to make it or else they're gonna oh, turn yeah. your machine off yeah, like, yeah no it's a i mean not not the most ideal situation for sure mm-hmm. to have that but also i mean can like you said it can be if if you if you had one of those on your sh- on your in your shop how yeah. produ- how much more productive could you potentially be maybe not no more productive maybe a lot more productive it could be you know really totally man totally it could make things easy make your life a lot easier well one of the things that one of the reasons that i haven't wanted to do that is because i'm actually not um taking advantage of the full potential for productivity that i currently have right um and there's a bunch of i I think i don't know if i told you this but like the the guy that lives so there's a guy that lives in the unit next to me Mm -hmm. right the the welder yeah so you know i don't want to keep him up at night so i'm not running the machines overnight but if i had my own shop out in the country on a a property or something i would 100 percent run the machines unattended every night yeah you know that that's like a free cycle um so like i'm not particularly worried about getting like more productivity right. until i've already like you know if i'm if i'm getting like you know 24 hours of spindle on time a day and that's not enough productivity then at that point the productivity argument makes sense but that's right now point. it's just like a quality argument you know yeah and and like you said you know it's, it might not translate to uh, you know you still might be stuck doing a boatload of handwork right which um, yeah i really hope that would not be the case so like i've watched like the the whole grimsmo thing where he's like gone from milling the knives to now grinding them on a five axis yeah. his that machine that he has the kern yeah so yeah we're talking about john grimsmo who's a knife maker also here in canada um and he like he's an acquaintance i don't know him super well but he and i are in, on good terms and some of the machines he has are crazy wild and that that kern five axis is the craziest yeah 
like I think it's got like a hundred and forty station tool changer in that thing. Uh, it might be two hundred or something like that. It's a huge number. It's just ridiculous. Maybe yeah, I don't know. Um, Super cool. Really cool. The palette changing, uh, mm-hmm. a palette changer, and he's got all those tombstones in it. Very, very cool. Um, that's a neat machine for sure. Yeah, and at some point that thing is going to be running twenty four hours a day, seven days a week with the palette pool unattended. Yeah. You know, he's an example of somebody that that was like, I'm just going to buy the very best machine I can, yeah, uh, conceivably afford, <laughs> right, uh, and just go for it. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think I think part of the difference is actually that my market is smaller. So John is selling folding knives, and you know, folding knives. Everyone lives in the city these days, so like you know, you can live in the city and have a folding knife. Like that totally makes sense. But like my market for making like hunting knives and outdoors knives, mm-hmm. it's much much smaller. Right. Um, you know, and I've talked to um, big big knife companies, and they're saying that you know the kind of knives I make are like less than 15% of their overall market. Right. Um, so, but they yeah, don't think... make a uh, golf custom knife. No. And that's a special knife. So that is a special. I don't know. Ooh, speaking of special knives. So I did a knife uh, for a fellow knife maker the other day, uh, Jeff Fader. And this was a really fun project because I just said to him, like, look, man, can I, like, take my time with this and, and make something special for you? And he was like, yeah, man, like, cool. go do whatever you want. So I ended up doing – so my normal knives are matte finished with sandblasting, and then they're DLC coated, which, like, it's diamond-like carbon. So it's a very thin, black, diamond-ish coating. It's super, super hard. Um, but the really cool thing about that finish is that it's it's only, like, a micron thick. So – whatever the surface finish underneath that's what it shows up as like it doesn't hide anything you know um like and when i say that it like perfectly reflects the finish underneath they actually use uh dlc to make um mirrors for like scientific optics that only reflect infrared like yeah super 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 cool shit so i did um a knife for him with satin finished bevels so like hand sanded bevels and then all of the spine and the tang and everything was all matte sandblasted. And then I did uh, DLC on top of that. Cool. Um, so the so sandblast cool. in satin have a different texture? Yeah, yeah. So What's the sandblast the is like satin totally matte. Sandblast? The satin is like um, just doing pull strokes with sandpaper. So oh, you just it's get like a like brushed perfectly... satin. Yes, yeah. Ah, you get like perfectly straight lines. Yeah. Um, so that those... Those are like sanding monks going from tip to tail. Right. Um, you know, it's applied by hand very carefully. And then doing the, the so it's, yeah, it's like a black brushed satin finish. Yeah. That with is... then like black matte on the spine stuff. Super cool. That was a really fun knife to do. That is really cool. Have you showed photos of that yet? I have not. I actually haven't posted anything to Instagram in over a month. Oh, really? Yeah. And I want to see that. It's hard to find time to post stuff to Instagram. Yeah, and I'm a little so like this was this was a prototype, a one-off, and like I I'm always a little hesitant to post stuff like that because I know people are gonna be like, I want it, oh, make yeah. me one, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, it's so hard to say no. I know, but this knife was so much work. <laughs> um, like I made uh, three of them, and only one came out oh, close really? to being right. You know, there was still some stuff about it that I didn't quite like. Like this this finish is really really fussy to get right. And then so, you don't know necessarily, I suppose, until it comes back from from the coating. Exactly. Yeah, because and, you can. And the DLC coating like... brings out the worst in things. Yes. Or the be- yeah. also the best in things, you know, because like obviously it's going to help beautify that object, but any yeah. any flaws just become yeah. more obvious. Magnified. Yeah, and it, it's made even worse because the DLC coating has issues of its own so you know if you were spraying lacquer and you accidentally had like a little drop of oil or silicone on there you would get like a fisheye like a a blister in your finish you can get the same kind of stuff with dlc um if you so like i have to keep my sandblasting cabinet like surgically clean like nothing that has oil on it goes in there ever because then i'd just be blasting oil into the like matte sandblasted texture and then that oil will off gas in the vacuum chamber when they're trying to do the DLC oh. and it'll cause problems, you know? So if you literally take like a freshly sandblasted blade and you put a fingerprint on it and then you send it to DLC, mm-hmm. 
you know, they they ultrasonically clean them, but okay. there's a good chance that that knife's coming back with a fingerprint. Really? You have to ultrasonic cleaning? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I understand what ultrasonic cleaning really does because how does that, how is it not removing that? So the fucked thing is that it's not actually like the oil. The problem in this case is that um, my, the steel that I use for most of my knives isn't stainless. So when you put a thumbprint on this like fresh, um, untouched surface, you end up creating a little tiny oxide layer wow, in the shape okay. of your thumbprint gotcha. that, you know, it doesn't clean off because it's an oxide layer. And then that changes the appearance of the DLC over the top of it. So ultrasonic would clean off oil. Yeah. But or not the coolant or something. Yeah. Um, so what? So do you know how uh, ultrasonic works, though? Yeah, it's super cool, man. Because I would like cool. to know. So basically, you're, you've got like a speaker in the water, right? Mm. Um, you know, it's like having a tweeter from a, a sound system. So it's making really, really high frequency noise. And that, that sound is traveling through the water as pressure waves. Um, and what happens is it's actually tearing open small bubbles of vacuum because you get the, the pressure waves kind of going away from each other. And then in, the, in between those pressure waves, it actually tears open a tiny bubble of vacuum in the water. And when that little bubble of vacuum collapses, it um, kind of deforms into a torus shape and then it makes a jet of water. Um, and that little tiny jet of water is so energetic that they're actually investigating it to see whether they can start fusion reactions oh. inside the jet created by ultrasonic cavitation. Um, so that that, pro that whole process is called cavitation, and it's something that they actually fight really hard against on um, like high-performance boats and ships and on submarines. Because if you get cavitation, that same kind of cavitation happening around your propeller it'll actually eat the propeller whoa yeah so yeah ultrasonic cleaners are amazing i have a little one at the shop and they are super super cool um i knew you'd be able to explain yeah. that the only thing that would have made it better if you had is would be if you had like a whiteboard in front of you <laughs> let me get my whiteboard the... i'll i'll draw you the donut cavitation of death <laughs> yeah. on it yeah um, yeah they're super cool man they're um some like space age technology right there that's wild um cool yeah. that was a tangent I, that i invited and i, I don't oh, know what fine. we uh we were talking about before that well we were just i just said space age should we talk about space you're gonna want to talk about uh, uh SpaceX. spacex oh yeah yeah absolutely i did well, watch it i did watch you watched it. The... well not live right um but it was wild yeah, man. So, yeah, um, SpaceX sent uh, four more astronauts to the International Space Station, and this is the first time humans have ever flown on a reused booster assembly. So, like, that's whole that SpaceX's like whole claim to fame. That's why they're doing so many more launches than anyone else these days because they're reusing stuff rather than throwing it away. So, yeah, it's super awesome. That kicks ass. Right? Um, also, they look good doing it. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, everything's like shiny and white, and they've got nice spacesuits. Yeah, stuff. and like the the screen inside. You know, I picture like um, when I think of uh, you know this like sending a rocket into space. I think of mm -hmm. uh, Apollo thirteen. You know, and it's like yeah, big switches big and stuff, and switches and stuff. Yep. Yeah, and this is like cool. the guy was like scrolling on like a touch screen right. and shit. Which well, and the crazy you know, thing I is, guess that, like, would, it would be weird if they were like, you know, still had. Well, but Russian buttons. Soyuz capsules, which are until um, the Dragon capsule came along, the Soyuz capsule was the one that was being used for all of the crewed missions to the International Space Station, and that shit is still like big buttons and switches yeah. and like computers from the eighties. Yeah, um, and like they're building them new; they're not like reusing old ones. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. Well, it's it's really interesting, too. So the um, um, Nick was talking about the user interface inside the, the Dragon capsule. The, you know, so they, they sit in front of these three massive screens, and they're all touchscreen and everything. Um, and the really interesting thing that I think reflects SpaceX's pragmatism is that that whole system is actually programmed in Electron, which is um, like the same uh, kind of application system that like Slack 
the computer app is uh, made in. Like it's it's nothing fancy. They were just like, you know what, that shit's good enough. Works. Send it to space. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, super cool, right? Yeah. Um, well, it's pretty amazing what the what that what they are doing. I yeah. Say. I'm not yeah. super into it. Like I I dig the whole thing, but um, not a space nerd like me. I I I've had uh bouts of space nerdism. <laughs> did, did you see the doctor for that or what? Yeah. <laughs> You're cured now. Good uh, to know. But no, no, I'm, I'm getting back into it since, since you're into it, you're, you're inspiring me to, uh, check it out. Dude. I mean, just delve a little further. Right. I, I just want to go, man. Like, it'd be super cool. You just ride a, basically a, a controlled bomb. You just ride a, a bomb to space. That's funny. Cause when I watched this, I literally said out loud, I was like, I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm all over it. I'd yeah. be 100 percent in. You would you would Even do a Mars. Like, you would do a, a, a like the Mars mission, knowing you'd never return. Ooh, am I dying there in like maybe yeah, like of old age, a year? No, no, or old age, old, old age. age. Yeah, I'd consider it. I mean, you know, like I I enjoy what I do. I make nice knives, but like, you know, if I was like solving manufacturing problems to like keep a colony alive on mars like that's some cool shit right there so you do it oh yeah yeah see i I'd would fling my i'd fling my body into space <laughs> <laughs> you you not so much though by the sense well no it's just like maybe maybe once i was there i'd be cool with that <laughs> i don't i don't even like uh no i get car sick uh if somebody else is driving Okay, dude. So it's a three month trip in a tiny tin can, and you're not really sure whether you're going to be into it until we get there. I'm I'm taking you out of this trip, man. You're, that's that's why you're excluded. That's why. Yeah. Imagine we get there, and then you're like, I want to go home. Yeah, that would be me for sure. We'd have to kill you and eat you. Yeah, I would want that though, like because <laughs> I don't know. Put me out of my misery. Exactly. I'd be the first to go. Like if there was like a, a survival situation, like shipwreck. You know, that just doesn't appeal to me. Just take me. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. Yeah, I get it. Hey, man. So uh, guess what? You've got your first listener question. Me? Yeah, you. You specifically. No fooling. No so Atraxia Guitars on Instagram said, a question for Nick. Can you describe how you cut your fret slots? How many passes? How long does it take to cut all the slots? Have you ever tried using the entire length of each slot as a very gradual ramp down and then return across the bottom of the slot to get rid of the ramp? I think he just wants to know all your secrets, bud. <laughs> all my fret slotting secrets? All your fret slotting secrets. Um, so for, for people that don't know, can you tell us what the hell a fret is and why it would be hard to cut the slots for these things? Sure. A The, the fret is goes on the playing surface of the guitar. Uh, and it's, well, it's the shiny metal bit across the fretboard <laughs> and when right, you press your neck. finger uh, on, uh, on the string uh, the fret is what shortens the string and creates the pitch of the 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 note wow, beautiful that sounded that sounded bad it's such a hard thing to explain man like i i was thinking about that on the way home i was like how do you, how do you explain that to someone that's like never held a guitar yeah, well, think about it. If you have a if you have a rubber band, you shorten it or extend it, like it changes the pitch. Yeah, it's similar to that, I guess. <laughs> Except it's metal and yeah. it's on. The guitar. <laughs> so, so why are the fret slots so hard to cut? Like, what's why is this a big deal? They're really narrow. They're really thin. So uh, right. traditionally, they'd be cut by with a handsaw, or like mm. okay, if you look at a a violin or an, um, a contrabass, upright bass. They don't right. have frets. You just they are have to know where to put your finger. Right. They're fretless, yeah. Uh, so uh, that was an innovation at some point uh, where you wouldn't have to just know where to put your finger. It's, and uh, you just know. You just know at some point someone objected. They were like, we don't want plebs yeah. <laughs> pay, playing this simple this dumbed down easy. thing. Yeah, exactly. Where's all the skill and craftsmanship going? You know? Yeah. Um, so the uh, a fret is made up of there's a tang and that's the narrow part that is embedded right. in, uh, into the fretboard and that's right. what holds the fret in place. So a slot uh, accepts the tang, 
And then right. on top of that, there's a crown and that is what sits on top of the fretboard. And it comes to usually like, it comes to a peaked shape. Uh, and right. that's what the, the note is. Well, that's what the string is being depressed against. Right. Uh, so the, tw the fret tang is about 23 thou of an inch, uh, wide. So like the, wide. the slot has right. to be 23 thou. Or and how deep is it? Um, that's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head, but, um, I think they're about like a bit over a six. Literally sitting in front of a boatload of stuff. I'll just <laughs> um, Do you want me to jump on Stu Mac real quick and look it up? Uh, yeah, the sixty thou. Sixty thou. Yeah, yeah, so just over a sixteen, or just under a sixteen. So, so, so you would cut it by hand with a with a handsaw, or then you know, like Fender or Gibson, they were they were using maybe like gang saws. So it would have this. If this, say your fretboard has twenty two slots, it would have twenty two blades sort on it all spaced out right uh the proper distances and that would cut them um the with the cnc machine you just do it one at a time with a really tiny uh end mill so a right. we use a 23 thou diameter uh, end mill is that like a single flute end mill or is it's it two, two flute two or? flute a two flute 23 thou end mill that's crazy yeah it's a little guy um I bet. And uh, so it's a fra that's a fragile tool. So yeah, yeah, we don't do it all in one pass, but we also don't have our fret. We don't make our fret slot exactly the diameter or the, the width of the diameter of that bit. We don't make it 23 thou because oh, you make it wider? we make it wider. Right. Because if you put a 23 thou tang with barbs, so they have little like barbs sticking out of it that help it grip into the fretboard right into the wood yeah you stuff that into a, uh this board that's got 22 of these slots it's essentially curved and you start jamming these things right. in the, that are the same size you get this effect called compression fretting and it compresses the fretboard and it back bows the neck right it makes it curved away from the playing surface exactly right. so we uh have our fret slots uh a bit wider so the the and barb how do you hold the still, tang in the then? barbs still stick in oh okay so it's i can't remember exactly i mean we we dialed this in years ago and um we fussed Look with it you. a lot right uh so we we actually used to even the closer we got to where so the the further up the fretboard you get the closer to the body the the tighter the the frets are together and mm -hmm. we even we had our fret slots uh, start getting wider at that point, right? To reduce the amount of like compression force that you're putting into the fretboard yeah, because it could it, right. it would start to you would start to see um, a hump there mm. from compression fretting. Um, since then, we've we've sort of just uh, figured out the best general uh, size general size. Slot, I, I, guess. I, I, could, right. I wish I could tell you because I'd be happy to share that information, <laughs> but I can't recall. Um, it's some it's, size. It's uh, you know we're working within thousandths of an inch, so it's it's right. maybe it's twenty. It's not like ten thou bigger. No, right, no. Right. Um, and uh, so yeah, we we do step down. We we actually we cut them on the radius. We route them on the radius of the same radius as the fretboard. So right, so it's not a flat bottom slot. It's, it's not a flat it's bottom. It's actually a curved yeah. bottom, slot. and that helps give the the neck more rigidity because you're leaving more material there. Hmm. And then our final pass, we do, I believe. In one in one full pass, yeah, that makes sense. Step out there. But any idea of like how much you're stepping down, like how many step downs you're taking? Um, I think we're doing ten thousand steps, step downs. Okay, yeah. So that'd go pretty quick if you're running like, I guess you're like on your router spindle, you're probably running. So we're like going thousand RPM or something. We're going full tilt, which is twenty one thousand RPM. Okay, but the Haas won't be able to do that. It can only do fifteen. Right. Uh, but, Are you going to get a speeder for doing fret slots? No, I thought about it, um, but no. Uh, Fifteen will do it because I. There are points where like I've we we were doing like twenty or thou like the the rudder bit can hold handle a, a, mm -hmm. a bigger cut, um, but so I think that's what we'll end up doing is just taking a bigger cut or just running slower, slower. Right. Yeah. You might find too that like little delicate tools might actually be a bit more robust in the Haas than they were in the router because Bus they're getting them moved around. 
more smoothly right rather than kind of jerking around and yeah there's less run out um and i think the toolpaths will be like more tightly constrained you know they're mm-hmm. it's gonna be like less juddering about yeah um, yeah i'll be curious to see what happens well yeah and i would say for um if you're if you're playing around with that not a lot of harm and in, in trying to push it like we we can get about 20 fretboards out of one of those oh, wow. router bits we get them from precisebits.com hmm. i think is what it's called uh right. and it's a shell mill it's the shell cutter it's not shell we don't cutter. use the fret slotting bit i think they sell it i don't know if it's different but it's the one hmm. that's made for cutting shell like pearl right uh or abalone uh so that's what we use and yeah you can push those those little bits pretty good so and also in surface finish like your your surface finish isn't that critical obviously because it's like right. completely hidden so i just say but i know you guys care about it anyway yeah <laughs> polished yeah um i would say go for it just give her hell and there you go ten thousand step downs a little bit wider than the tang and let her rip mm-hmm. interesting yeah, I, that's way smaller than any tool I've ever used. I'm going to be getting down into tools that kind of size um, when I start working on my folding knife prototypes. Right. Because there are some pretty small features in that thing. But yeah, like right now, like the smallest tool I use is 330 seconds. And what do you use that for? Um, I actually use that to interpolate, like to helically bore the pinholes in the steel uh, of the tang and in the um, handle scales for my oh, knives. Oh, cool. Do you know what kind of like the, tolerance you're holding with something like that? Like, how do you measure the. Uh, I, so I measure the holes with plug gauges. Ah. Um, and can you measure so, concentricity with that? Um, well, I mean, they're not concentric to anything. Okay. They're like positioned relative to the outline of the handle scale. Um, it, it actually really sucks. Like, because my knives are such. You know, it's an, it's a weird shape. It's not like a circle in a circle or something. They're actually really hard to measure. <laughs> um, right. You know, it's like so um, uh, contoured and there's no yeah. flat reference surface. Yeah. There's only one reference surface on my outdoors knife that I can measure with a micrometer. Right. Um, and that's like from the tip of the finger guard to the spine of the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, by measuring that distance, I can tell whether or not I've held the overall profile to size, but I can't tell whether or not that profile is in the correct position relative to the handle pins. Um, which is really difficult because I'm actually doing the profile of the blade of the the outline of the, the blade in a separate operation to when I'm drilling the handle pins. Okay. So... Yeah, it's a little bit uh, dicey at times. But basically, my handle scales actually act as my like master because the handle scales are all machined in one operation. Every critical surface is machined in one operation. So those are about a, an, as accurate a part as I can possibly make. How do you do that? Like, How are you work holding that? Um, so basically, I have a, a, a preparatory um, operation that actually machines... Um, bolt holes in the underside of the handle scales. And then uh, I bolt the the G10, like the composite material, onto a pallet, and then that pallet gets fixed down to the table. So you can't see any mounting hardware from the top. It's all underneath. Right. And then that lets me get access to all of the top side and the you know, five-sided machining cool. on, on the, the handle scale. And you can profile right to the very bottom of that. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah, no problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, though, because trying to hold that tolerance, for a while there, every single handle scale that I made was off position relative to, like, the outline relative to the pinholes by five thousandths. And I could not work out where this was coming from, and it was enough that I could feel it on the edges of the knife. So I was having to, like, hand sand every single pair of handle scales that came off. They were undersized or they were oversized? No, they were off position. Oh. Like the, they were offset in one direction. Oh, that's so annoying. Yeah, super annoying. Um, you know, so poor Mike had to like hand, hand sand like so many handle scales for like a year because I really wasn't able to work this out. And it turns out it in that whole time, I had never replaced 
the drill bit that I was using to drill the pinholes uh -huh. in the G10 because it was still drilling on size. So I didn't think there was a problem. But I guess the tip must have dulled. And so it was, it was walking, yeah, walking off its position. But it was walking off position in a perfectly repeatable way. That's so bizarre. Right? So it wasn't like it was random, you know, because if it was walking in a random direction, then the handle scales wouldn't actually fit on the knife. I, like, I don't have five thou of slop. Right. You know? But they were, it was all walking in the same direction, five thousandths of an inch. That's bizarre. I mean, maybe because so it was like, uh, is it drilling into kind of a ramped surface? Uh, yeah, but it was ramped in the other direction. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it, it took me, like, I created a post on Practical Machinist. I was like, guys, please help me. Like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. And it was literally, like, four days of, like, just changing things and trying new stuff. And in the end, I was just like, you know what, fuck it. And I changed every tool in the magazine, like every tool that um, was going to be used on the handle scales. And as soon as I changed the drill bit, it started working perfectly. That's amazing. So now I don't trust drill bits for anything. Like I previously didn't trust them for like drilling on position in steel, but I thought that like, oh, it, it would be good enough for G10. Like G10's soft. It's composite, like fiberglass, you know, it's going to be fine. But no. So now I helically bore those holes with an end mill as well to keep position. Interesting. So Drilling is not accurate. No, no, we don't drill anything. Actually, we we have like very few drilling drilling operations, but um, that kind of tolerance wouldn't be unacceptable in right. those operations. But uh, that's interesting. Like, what do you, what kind of drill bits are you using? Are you using like stub nose or? I was using stub length solid carbide stub drill bits, and yeah. are they? Um, uh, I totally forgot what I was just gonna ask, but um, <laughs> yeah. Are you, like, oh, are you like, are you um, like uh, pre-drilling or spotting? Yeah. Or are you no, are you doing um, like pecking? Yes, I was pecking. So I've heard there's um, issues with pecking, like in terms of holding accuracy. Uh, I don't think there would be issues in terms of hole location because once you've started the hole, it's very hard for the drill bit to then wander off, right? Because it can't really cut on the sides. Um, they in harder materials though, there can be issues with tool life. If you pack, sometimes oh, you might okay. be better off just running straight through right. because when you pack, you're basically pulling the cutting lips of the drill up against the chip that you've already made. Uh huh. So sometimes that can like chip out little bits of the cutting lip of the drill, um, particularly with carbide. So yeah, but man, it literally took me like a year and a half to fix that problem. Wow. And that's a good lesson though. Cause... Uh, yeah, because I was like, there's no way it can be the drill bit. <laughs> like, I'm not even investigating that. That's a stupid idea. You know, there's no way. And then and that's probably the cheapest bit you have in that entire machine. I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a nine dollar drill. Right. Bit. You know, like this is funny. Yeah. So we have um, sometimes you get like uh, when you're assembling a guitar and you, you string it up, you get you're like, what the fuck is that buzz coming from? from? You like, mm. check the frets. And you're like, there's a. The, now we've learned that the first thing to do if you can't immediately dis oh it's like oh it's a some like a high fret or something weird like that um, just change the strings because that's just a that's just a, a a manufactured item that could oh, be some strings will just have like a loose winding or something and they'll buzz could be just a bad string oh wow that's weird yeah yeah I, I don't know but. Oh, my point is sometimes it's the simplest uh, solution. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, and those are ones that, that bite you because you assume that it can't be that. Right. You can then yourself. Makes a mockery of you. Like if it makes you case. look like a damned fool. Yeah, I literally made like a post on Practical Machinist, you know, and and it was interesting. Like I was like looking at the G code. I'm like simulating g-code on a line-by-line -line basis i'm like there must be a problem with fusion like it's doing something weird um i'm like checking the backlash on my machine <laughs> and like the the pitch compensation and like all this complicated shit replacing all and the ball just... screws <laughs> thank god i didn't go that far i was tempted i was tempted um, but yeah it was just madness that is yeah. frustrating absolutely um, maddening so that that was a fun question. Did you get any questions? I did, but 
we're we're uh, out of time. I think now's a a good spot to oh, put a pin in it, which is amazing. Today really like flew by. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. That's fine. We've got some extra questions for next week. Um, I'm going to be introducing a new segment next week. Pretty excited about this. Oh. It's called Aaron Reads Mean Comments. Oh, can we get a taste? <laughs> I feel like everybody would listen for another five minutes for a taste of Aaron Reads Mean oh, Comments. doesn't even have to be. It's just one. I just got this one this morning, and I was just like, guy, are you serious? <laughs> so this was, uh, I'm going to just call him out. This was by Luke on YouTube, and he said, you still making these fake ass knives? Where is the skill in craftsmanship in this knoof? <laughs> yeah, he spelled knife wrong. Yeah, that, that is a tough. Yeah. that is a tough word. I mean, the K is silent. <laughs> the O is super silent. But he threw. Well, it in he spelled there. it. Ro- he spelled it correctly the first time. So yeah, he spelled knives. Yeah, yeah well, maybe knoof is the um, singular. <laughs> wherever he's from. I just, you know, the thing that always strikes me is like, I don't really don't know what people get out of this, you know, like, oh, out of, uh, out of making comments like this. I like, I'm just going to be like, oh shit, man, you're right. I'm sorry. Like, yes, I'm still money, man. I'll just take gas knives. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will admit I let myself get a bit catty, a bit catty. Normally I take the high, normally I take the high ground, but in this case I was just like, you know what? Oh, did you respond? Oh yeah. And what did you say? Oh, yeah. You got to give us your response. No, I can't. I want to read the whole thing. <laughs> oh, it's long. It's long. It's long. Well, Luke, you listen here. Like you got a whippersnapper. Taste of your medicine. <laughs> my my comment, my response did include uh, "shut the fuck up." Nice. So, yeah. I yeah. kept it classy. You know. You, you <laughs> did you did you say STF or STUF? STFU. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. See, I yeah, I spelled it wrong, just like he spelled my wrong. Yeah, you know, sometimes you just got to let off steam. I Like, I deal with comments like this all the time. So it's sometimes, like, you just got to fire back. Well, it's, it's never going to go anywhere productive. Um, this was directed right to you, but I almost find yeah. it worse when somebody will, like, comment on an Instagram post. They'll, like, tag a friend and be like, uh, look at how ugly this is. And we're like, <laughs> you know, right. I get to see this, too. I'm right here, man. You're talking about me. I'm in the room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an extra level of either ignorance or just like, I don't know, don't give a well, fuck. Part of the reason why I wanted to include this is because like this little segment is because like, you know, like as much as I don't give a fuck about this person, these little comments, they still kind of hurt. They oh, kind of yeah. like fuck your day up a little bit. You're like, oh, For sure. And the thing that makes me really sad about it is thinking about how many people have not shrugged this off. You know, I'm sure there's tons of like beginner knife makers, beginner guitar makers. They make their first guitar and they post it. And then someone's like, that's a piece of shit, bro. Like, kill yourself. <laughs> oh. well, dude, I've literally had people on YouTube. I post a brand new video and they're like, I know what you're trying to do. I hope you fucking die. Holy fuck. You know, like, yeah, yeah it's crazy, man. Like, people are, are nuts, you know. And I just, I really worry about how many people get discouraged. So I want to share some of the... Uh, you know, discouragement that people are sending my way. So everyone realizes it's not just you. That's a that's a good thing bit. to do. Maybe, maybe I can uh, throw some. Oh yeah, the buddy. Bringer. I mean, yeah, we rare, it's rare comments. that we get that sort of stuff. Oh, oh yeah, 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 totally. Oh yeah. Um, no, I don't get them. I don't get them every day or anything. No. But like, at least once a month, I get one where I'm like, oh man. And it could just be subtle too, though. It doesn't have to be like this. Is this guy was really he he went he went for uh, <laughs> he went all out. Yeah. Went yeah. for the kill, but it can be subtle. Like, uh, no, I don't like it. Yeah, that's fine though. Like, I don't mind that. No, but why you know, say like... it at all? Just don't like yeah, it. I guess. Just like <laughs> the biggest, the great. What do they say? The greatest form of protest is not spending your money on it or something. Yeah. Um. So just don't, don't buy it. But uh, yeah, just be nice to us. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> All right, everybody. On that note, I think that's a show. Cool. Yeah. Enjoy your week, everybody. Uh, we'll be back with more mean comments next Except week. Except for you, Luke. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? We'll have a lot. We've still got some questions for next week, too. So we'll have a, a good show. And do you reckon your house will have made its first chips by then? I hope so. We'll see. Ooh. All right. Some, some tools so, were loaded and probed and... 
So Ooh, I'm on the right track. Everyone loves a good probing. So next week, we'll either hear about some awesome chips or some awesome crashes. So no. uh, either way, it's going to be a great episode, everyone. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We, let's, let's knock on wood. I'm knocking on my head right now. I got you know, lots of wood to knock on here. You have, there you go. Do you have any? You just have stupid Yeah, metal. I've got some fake wood next to me. All right, everyone. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.